Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is Jay. And this is your new comic book Wednesday episode for July 14th, 2021. Jay and I are going to talk about a few of the books coming out today that we already had a chance to talk about. Uh, just a reminder, this is spoiler free. However, if you go back and listen to our DC Spotlight, either on the podcast or on the Comic Boom YouTube channel that comes out on Tuesdays, that is full of spoilers. That's what you guys are saying you want. Uh, Rocky from Comic Boom and I do a deep dive on all the DC books. So if you're curious about any of the DC books that came out this week, go check that episode out that came out yesterday. And I will say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk in depth and go spoilers. It did kind of surprise me when people, more and more people reached out and said they wanted it not on Friday, but on Tuesday and they wanted full spoilers. That, that episode every week is blowing up. It gets it's a race between the new comic Wednesday and the the DC spotlight every week to see. And it kind of depends on what books come out, if the DC spotlight gets more downloads or if the spoiler free Wednesday one does. So uh, anyway, regardless of which one you like, maybe listen to one, maybe listen to the other, maybe listen to both. We really appreciate the support. So uh, anyway, on to the books that come out today. Actually, you know what? Before I do that. We should mention, which we also mentioned on the, uh, the DC spotlight, but for those that don't listen to it. Uh, to that episode, we do here at the Comic Source want to extend our deepest condolences to the family of Robson Roca, uh, an exclusive DC artist since 2016. Uh, he's been working, doing work for DC since 2011. He's from Brazil. He had been fighting COVID uh, for an extended period of time. And a few weeks ago, um, his family was asking for donations, both monetarily and, and donations of blood from people that lived in Brazil to help Robson with his fight. And tragically, he lost that fight uh, this last weekend. So uh, he was very young um, from all that I heard. I'd never got a chance to, met, uh, to meet him, unfortunately. Love his art. But from everything I heard, he was a really great guy, super hum humble, extremely talented, which anybody can see um, with, his, uh, with his artwork. And uh, it's just a real tragedy. Apparently, he had no previous health problems. Uh, and it just kind of shows the kind of the danger of, of COVID-19. I know some people don't believe in it or what have you. And, you know, regardless if you do or not, um, there are people that have unfortunately been taken from us far too soon. I mean, he was in his late twenties, early thirties. Uh, he has a very young daughter. I think she's under the age of three uh, that he leaves behind as well as a wife. So uh, for us comic fans, uh, we've, we've lost on, on amazing future work that he would have done, but uh, there's a lot of great, great work out there that he, he did leave us with. Uh, particularly his Aquaman run, which is kind of when his profile rose when he did that Aquaman story with uh, with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Um, I really fell in his uh, in love with his work when he worked with Robert Venditti on the um, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. He did some work on Green Lanterns as well. Just a, a super super talented guy. And like I said, we our heart goes out to his family and his friends in the comic book community who uh, are going to miss him. And as a, as a comic fan, and like I said, somebody that I, I would have always have loved to have met, but just never had the opportunity, uh, I'm going to miss his work. So again, we extend our, our deepest condolences, and it's a, it's a real tragedy. So uh, all right, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started with the first book. Jay's going to kick us off. There's a new Alien miniseries that just started this week. It's called Aliens Aftermath. It's from writer Benjamin Percy. The art is by Dave Wachter. Colors by Christopher Sotomayor, and the letters are by Ariana Mayer. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, I know you're an Alien fan. I know you've been reading the other one along with myself. 
Jay, but this is a, this is a whole new one. And I didn't know what to think. I, I thought, wait, was this a one shot? And then obviously when you get to the end of the issue, you realize it's going to, it's going to continue. So give us your thoughts on the issue. I thought the same thing when I got to the end, I was like, that it? And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's kind of nice though. Cause it's kind of a throwback to the, uh, go back to Haley's hope. And I guess, um, the aftermath of it all, I don't want to give away too much, but just say one of the characters in the beginning of the story is related to one of the other characters that were one of the Marines in the, in the movie aliens, which is kind of cool. The whole backstory is they're just kind of a group, I guess you would say they're uh rebellion, I guess, against Wayland's corporation. They're just trying to, you know, take it down, take the man down, I guess you would say. But as we know, a lot of these stories never go right, especially, especially in the alien world. You find uh, a new alien, which I think was kind of cool. It's not, it's no spoiler because you look at the cover, you're like, well, that's kind of a unique looking alien. Then you find more about the, uh, I guess it's traits. You're like, this is actually a pretty cool looking alien. Um, the ending kind of leaves you going, that's it. But like you said, it's not over yet. And uh, it, like I said, it was just, it was a, it was neat. It was exciting. It was different. So I, I appreciated it. Yeah. When you look at the last page, it says the next issue is on sale, seven twenty one twenty one. So I, I was like, wait, is this, is this a weekly series? Like, I, I, I have no idea. Um, so, I mean, all we're left with, it's not, it's not game over yet. Check out. And it says uh, a number five aliens inside. So not sure what to expect, but uh, like Jay said, this ties in very closely with aliens, the second movie in the alien franchise. And so I did, like Jay said, I totally agree with him. I, I did appreciate that it ties in more closely than the other series that Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing. And not to say that what Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing isn't good. It's, it's great. I love that. But because this ties in more closely, uh, there's one of the characters that's related to one of the Marines, like Jay said, from aliens. So I like that. It's, it's, it's kind of tying the world together a little more um, the world of, of aliens in the comics and the world of uh, alien in, in the movies on the big screen. And that's always uh, that's always really cool to kind of see those threads. Uh, as far as the the new alien, yeah, like Jay said, you can see on the cover he looks a little different. Um, and I don't know. I guess I, I mean, obviously I looked at the cover, but it didn't dawn on me until I saw it pop up in the issue how different it really was. And I was like, oh, that is cool. Um, and there's reasons why and and all that kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I just I really liked it. It was good. Um, so kudos to Benjamin Percy, obviously much like Philip Kennedy Johnson, he's a big uh, alien fan. I think the art by Dave Wachter is really cool. Um, there's a lot of little Easter eggs that again, tie in with uh, things from the movie. So that was, that was cool to see as well. So yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, all right, let's move on to the first book I'm going to talk about. It's X core number three. Um, this is from writer Tinny Howard. The art is by Valentine Delandro. Colors are by Sunny Go. Clayton Cowles handles the letters. Tom Mullen on design. Um, first of all, the art. I mean, we, we've talked about Valentin Delandro's art before on the podcast, specifically when he did the Mr. Miracle backups in the Superman of Metropolis series during Future State. And I'm just, I'm not a fan of his work. Um, he's really light on the backgrounds. His line work is really heavy. And his characters just look really stiff. Uh, like the body language I feel is uh, is kind of lacking the character acting. And so I wasn't a fan of the art in this uh, issue. And, and what happens is because the art feels so static, it makes the story 
feel heavy uh, in a way. And I don't know that it suits this, this book. I mean, X Corp is a, is a book about, you know, angel and, and uh, Monet and um, or penance, if you will, uh, Jamie Madrox trinary. And they're, they are trying to, to establish the dominance of the, um, the X-Men corporation, right? Um, they're trying to establish that beyond pharmaceuticals, they have, the mutants have other technology to offer the world and they're going to offer it in such a way that they're going to make money off of it, right? It's when they built the, the island nation of Krakoa, it wasn't just to have a sanctuary and, and kind of become the, for the first time, kind of the, the controllers of their own destiny. And so in that way, you need sovereignty, which they have with the island nation of Krakoa, but you also need power in other ways, not just physical power, not just the power of, of your superhuman abilities. Um, you need power in the business world. You need power financially. And that's what X Corp is about, establishing that power through developing uh, technology. So it's really interesting. I've talked before in the past, I think when I was talking about the first issue about how how cutthroat the business world is and how that translates and contrasts against how action-packed a, a superhero comic can be when you're talking about going up against, you know, heroes and villains um, and how, how much action and, and, and uh, kind of cutthroatness can be in that when you think about going up against an, another corporation, if anything, it's, it's more political and it's more ruthless and it's a different kind of action. And so I've, I've really been enjoying what Tinney Howard's been doing, but uh, again, I think it needs a lighter touch in the art to have that come through to get a sense of those politics and personal interactions and um, kind of the nimbleness of what the X-Corp team is trying to do with Angel and uh, Penance and, and the Trinary and the other members of their team. Um, so yeah, I wasn't, wasn't a fan of the art, this issue. As far as the story goes, it is pretty action-packed and we do have somewhat of a twist at the ending. Um, and when I say action packed, there's no knockdown drag out fights, right? But again, it's a lot of different people, power brokers in the business world of the Marvel universe that are trying to manipulate events and they're trying to, everybody's trying to get ahead. You know, everybody wants the edge. Everybody wants to be uh, at the top of the the mountain, so to speak of, of the business world. And it's, there's only room for one person up there. There's only room for one corporation up there. Um, and so they're all kind of at each other's throats. And I love the different maneuvers and the different politics between the, the players, as you will. Um, but again, the twist at the end is, is pretty interesting. doesn't necessarily bode well for the, uh, the X Corp. And you wonder how that's all going to play out. Uh, if I have any complaint, and this is not anything uh, against the creative team, it's just a personal preference for me. And this is true no matter what I'm consuming, whether it's comics or uh, some kind of prose, a novel or, or short story, or even a television show, a movie, no matter what it is. Um, when problems arise because people aren't forthright, they don't share things even with their allies, their team, in this case, other members of their board of directors of their company, when problems arrive, it just bugs me because it's like you could have completely avoided that problem if you just would have taken one or two people into your confidence. Just tell them what's going on so that you're all on the same page. Like that kind of inefficiency and uh, the fact that it can lead to problems 
it just, it bugs me because it's so easily avoidable. And I know that's just my personal preference. Cause I'm, I'm not that way. Right. Like if, if I need to, if, if something's going on and I know it could lead to problems at work or at home or whatever, like I share those with the people that need to know, like, Hey, this is just so you know, this is what's going on in case something goes sideways. Um, some, you know, somebody else is aware of what's going on and it doesn't, it doesn't lead to problems because of the secrecy. And it's kind of a trope in stories. You see it all the time where it, it causes a disaster because somebody just is keeping a secret. And so that, that just, it irritates me because it's like, man, so easily could have been avoided, but stories are all about conflict and tension and drama. And you can't have those problems. You can't put ordinary people or even uh, extraordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. Cause that's what stories really are, right? Taking an ordinary person and putting them in extraordinary circumstances or taking an extraordinary person and putting them in super extraordinary circumstances. I mean, that's how you build story. That's how you build drama. That's how you make it compelling. But I don't know, for whatever reason, that that trope of storytelling has always just bugged the crap out of me. Because in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, you know what? If you just would have told somebody, we could have avoided all this mess. And I'm kind of, I'm a little anal, you know, I don't like messes. So anyway, all that being said, I'm curious uh, to see what happens next with X Corp. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm even more invested in the book after the little bit of a cliffhanger that we had uh, when things don't quite go the way that the uh, mutants would have wanted in that, uh, in that issue. So, uh, all right, up next, we have our first aftershock title of uh, the week, and it's another first issue it's from one of my favorite writers, uh, Ed Brisson. The art is by Damien Cusiero, colors by Patricio Del Pesh. Letters by Hassan Atman Elhau. It's called Beyond the Breach. Uh, and the first issue is called uh, The Day We Hit the Coast. Uh, so I know you're a big fan. You're, you're, you've turned into a big fan of Aftershock, just like me, Jay. What'd you think of this issue? Oh, that was uh, my second book I read when I, when I got it. <laughs> it was good. I mean, it, it starts off with some drama uh, with the main character, Vanessa. You know, she's going through some issues. She's trying to get away. Uh, I think we all try to do that sometimes. But then she gets hit with we don't know what it is. And there's a bunch of car wrecks and stuff like that. It's good. Um, I guess the second main character is, is a little kid named Dougie. I mean, there's no spoiler. When you read the uh, previews, that's what it tells you. There's two main characters. Is it, though? Um, is it Dougie? Based on what happens at the end of the issue, I wonder. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to wait and find out, I guess. But that's like the uh, ending. They're kind of like, okay. But uh, the ending was good. It makes you want to read the next issue because you're like, okay. Kind of invested because I want to know what's going on. Um, you know, they kind of go... I'm not just sure if it's the same reality or a different reality, but you got all kinds of creatures showing up and it's pretty bloody. It's definitely not for kids. So if you got young ones, don't let them read this book. It's got some language and some uh, pretty graphical uh, things going on in there. It, yeah. Like I said, it's it just action right off the bat, which I liked. Um, you don't know what to expect. Um, there's still a lot of un a lot of answers or a lot of questions still out there with no answers. And uh, I guess that's we'll find out as the story goes along. Yeah, we definitely have more questions than answers. You know, like like Jay said, we meet Vanessa, and like on the second page, third page, like the crap just hits the fan. And the next thing we know, there's all these monsters. Vanessa and Dougie are running for their lives. And where, where are these fantastical bug-like fantasy creatures coming from? Um, like what the heck's going on? Like we, we have no idea. We have no idea. Um, 
but Brisson does a great job of, of throwing us right into the action, but there's plenty of character moments for Vanessa and Dougie, and, and they even start to bond somewhat over this kind of shared crazy experience. Um, and there's a bit of a cliffhanger at the end and where it goes, you know, who knows, who knows, uh, just based on the title beyond the breach, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there was some kind of, I don't know, rip in the fabric of reality that allowed all these monsters to come through is, is what I'm guessing, but, but who knows? I mean, I, I'm sort of basing that on what the cover looks like, but again, not sure it could really go in, in any direction. Um, Ed Brisson, as I said, is, is one of my favorite writers and th this feels very different than anything I've ever read from him before. Uh, what I love about his work is usually no matter how out there it is, you know, uh, mostly I've read his superhero work and no matter how fantastical the powers or powerful the mutants are that he's writing about, he always finds a way to ground it and make it feel relatable this is way out there. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to, he's going to do that or if he's even going to try maybe it along with what I was saying about it feels so different from anything he's done before. Maybe he's, he's trying to break out of that and just have something that uh, while we may all relate to feeling overwhelmed, like Vanessa does in the first issue with this crazy circumstance, he's not necessarily going to ground it. I don't know. I have my doubts. I have, I, I'm pretty sure he will. Um, cause it's just what he's so good at. I think it's kind of innate in his writing, but yeah, great, <laughs> great, great start. Um, and the awesome. art, I mean, when you're talking about all these crazy monsters, um, I have to imagine that Damien Cusero, the artist must've had a, a lot of fun drawing all this, these crazy monsters and the blood and the gore and the, just the insanity of it all. Oh yeah. But I always did like Abstract cause I always throw a little something at the end of the book. And this one you get the, um, her trip, her plans, which is pretty funny if you think yeah. about it. Like that ain't gonna happen, but <laughs> yeah, I just I just like those little extra things they throw in there. Yeah, it gives her itinerary of her her trip when she's trying to, uh, as Jay said, get get away from it all. Like we all need to do from time to time. Uh, all right, up next is uh, my next book is from Top Cow. It's a Man Among Ye. It's number five, so the series is returning from writer Stephanie Phillips. We have a new artist. Um, it's no longer Craig Sirmark, which I, I'm a little disappointed. I thought Craig's art was perfect for this uh, series, but uh, this time Stephanie's joined by Josh George. Uh, colors are by John Kalis, letters by Troy Petrie. Um, now we'll talk about the art first. Despite the fact that it's not by Craig Sirmark, this art was spectacular. Like, like, like I said, I, I was disappointed that Craig wasn't coming back, but that disappointment ended about two pages in because uh, this art, by Josh George is, is fantastic. Uh, beautiful line work. Um, there are a few panels here, there where he goes a little light on the background, but I don't mind it because there's other panels where he, he doesn't skimp at all. Um, and I thought his, uh, his character work and his transitions from panel to panel were very smooth. His character acting is great. He, he changes the camera angle around. He, he does a lot of scenes where the camera's tilted uh, just to keep us uh, interested. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic art. I, I was really impressed. And uh, at the end, you even get a, a preview of his cover for issue six, which is fantastic. Um, which that cover of issue six, it's showing a, a new character that makes a very brief appearance in this issue that we don't really know anything about. Uh, we get her name um, and that she's kind of after and Bonnie and Mary Reed, but who's not at this point, right? So 
uh, just sort of a reminder of what this story is about. So Mary Reed and Anne Bonny were real pirates in the, the uh, late 1800s. Um, and, and very rare because there are very few female pirates and there's not a lot that we know about their, their lives um, just because there's, there's not a lot of records about any pirates from that time. And even some of the records you have, you're not sure what's true and what's sort of legend and myth and hyperbole. And so, you know, we had Stephanie Phillips on to uh, not specifically talk about this, but she was on to, to talk about all of her work. And, and we did discuss a, a man among ye and its return. And she was talking about how much fun it was to have these really strong female characters and sort of take what historical records there are and try to extrapolate and guess at what happened here or there. So it's fun because these are real people. We know that Mary Reed really existed. We know that Anne Bonny really existed, but beyond that, it's hard to know what's true and what's not. And so I love that because here's some real people, but Stephanie gets to sort of craft the story that she wants to tell. Um, so being as true as she can to who they were from what she knows, but in a way it's historical fiction because we don't actually know that much. So they're, they're fun characters. Uh, Stephanie Phillips is a fantastically talented writer at this point. Um, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we had her on, um, you know, early on in her career when she was launching some stuff with Aftershock, uh, because, you know, now she's, she's everywhere. She's writing stories in the Batman uh, corner of the DCU. She's writing Harley Quinn. Um, she's got this book uh, at Top Cow. So it, it's just great to see the, the success she has. And it's well-deserved because in terms of the way the, the dialogue reads and the way the issue is paced, um, it's great. Uh, she doesn't fall into that trope of, um, you know, making the language really uh, with that strong kind of tropey pirate dialect or anything like that. Like, these women sound like um, not necessarily modern women, but their, their voices, their dialogue, it sounds authentic and their relationships with each other sound authentic. Um, you know, so often you'll hear people complain, well, why is a, why is a woman not writing, you know, woman care? Why is a woman not writing Wonder Woman? Why is a woman not writing this character or that character? Um, and then you have the flip side where some people are like, man, why are all these women getting these jobs only because they're women? I mean, you, in a way you need to write what you know and you can go too far with that. But I love the fact that Stephanie is, is writing these strong female characters because she's bringing a female perspective to it. And I think that lends to the authenticity of the way these female characters interact with each other. I mean, I have no experience with how a woman interacts with another woman personally. Right. Cause I'm not a woman. Like I can't speak to that. I can talk, all day about the way guys interact with other guys. Cause I'm a guy. Right. But uh, I can't speak to that when it comes to women, I could speak to something that I observed with the way women interact, but it's not the same. Um, so I love the fact that she's getting a chance to, to write these strong female characters and their interactions I feel are, are spot on and authentic. And yeah, um, it was only supposed to be four issues, but it did so well. They got to come back with a second arc. And I just think that's fantastic. The art, Again, from Josh George is gorgeous. The color work by John Kalis is also very good. And um, this one ends on a great cliffhanger as well. Um, much like Anne Bunny has done throughout the series, she's managed to sort of back herself into a corner, but she's very resourceful. And she always manages, to this point anyway, to find a way uh, 
to, to slip away. So we'll see how that works out for uh, when issue six rolls around. Uh, all right, on to Jay's next book. It's another Aftershock title. This was probably the one that he read first based on how much he enjoyed issue one. It's Bunny Mask number two, Secrets from the Cave. It's from writer Paul Tobin. And Andrea Moody handles the art and colors, and we have Taylor Esposito on uh, on letters. So take it away, Jay. What'd you think? Oh, yeah, right. I was looking forward to this book. <laughs> it was definitely the first book I read. I just liked uh, how these two work together. The writer and the artist just seemed to mesh well with uh, Maniac New York. So I was excited to see this coming out with them together again. It's it's good, but I mean, it starts uh, main character, um, the doctor. I didn't think it was uh, Tyler. He's in the talking to his patient, you know, but the thing in the story you find that I was kind of neat was he's finding artifacts like uh, statues or or something that's got bunny masks. I don't remember getting them while they showed up. So it's not like uh, bunny masks was there watching him in the sense, right there with him. He spends a little more time with uh, Bree or, or B, I'm sorry, B, um, who we know is not B because from the first that her body is actually in a cave so it's kind of leads it up to you know, is she really be or what is she but we haven't got we're not gonna answer that question yet i guess but he spends a lot of time with b and i guess his uh, roommate you know is questioning you know um are you guys dating and he's like no no we just like hanging out we're just friends you know but there's there's an age difference you know between the two but it's uh i guess it builds up to maybe they're gonna have a relationship but they really don't say yet um but he does a lot of whispering. It kind of uh, reminds you of the first issue where the father of B heard a lot of, you know, voices in his head too. It's, it's such a great book. And then um, there's so much little things are like I said, they're hidden in there. Um, I guess the best part of it was the ending where I guess there's a big meeting between, you know, um, the doctor and bunny mass, I guess, you know, I'm not going to get it. It's everybody says they're going to meet each other. So that's, that's the thing. But the way that she kind of leaves them there is kind of funny because there's more going on than then she's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, what, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show up and maybe you think I want to protect you, but then I'm, am I not, am I going to leave you in a lurch or what have you? Yeah. Uh, we, I should, we should, I, I should point out it. So Elliot Kalin and Andrew Moody did, um, did Maniac of New York. So it's a different writer, but same, same artist. So it does oh, still yeah, have yeah. that same, does still have that same feel, but uh, you're right. Like this is one of those books. It's super intriguing. We've gotten all these different clues about events that have happened, but what Paul Tobin hasn't given us any is the why, like we know this tragedy happened in the cave with, with uh, you know, Tyler and B way back in the day um, when she was a little girl and he was a young man. And now, you know, she's all grown up and he's, you know, tending toward middle age and there is some sort of tension and connection there, but is it because of the trauma in the past, but is B, like, he thought B died in that those events that happened way back in the past. And then she turns out she's alive, but is it really her? Like we, there's just so many questions. Like I said, we've seen all these events and there's all, you know, bunny mask is an actual being in some way, or is she, or, I mean, I thought, well, and at this point, we don't know, like, is that B? Is it a manifestation of B? Like, we just don't know. There's all these events and all these things that are happening that are propelling the story forward. But we've gotten zero hints, I feel, of the why or the what. I mean, is is the cave possessed? Is it haunted? Is it some sort of ancient burial ground? <laughs> like, we know nothing. 
Um, and so I, I wouldn't say that's bothering me, but if this is a five issue series, I don't think we can go. I, I wouldn't want to go past issue three without starting to get some answers um, or some clues or some hints. Um, and I guess in that way, you know, you, you mentioned Maniac of New York earlier and you can't help but compare because it's an aftershock book and they're both horror and Andrea Moody does a very similar style with art and color in both because they're painted like watercolor. Um, and with that one, it was the whole mystery of, okay, where's the maniac come from? Like how's he powered or whatever. And we got just the tiniest hint in issue four and then we started reading issue five and, you know, we saw about the museum and the artifact, but come to find out we're not getting the answer because it's coming in the next arc. And it's going to be another arc. That's of- good. Uh, I call that good writing. Cause they get you. Cause you're like, I got to get the next issue. You know, I got to yeah. get it. But so, another, yeah, another close I was going to say was like in the story, you're not too sure if she's actually good or she might be good too, because there's some bad guys and she kind of takes care of the bad guys. And you're like, okay, yeah. so yeah, again, well, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, there's not. That's the thing. We see all the actions, and we we see what's going on, and we know the things that have happened in the past, but we have no context because we don't know. We don't know people's. We don't know Bunny Mask's motivations, and we don't know the origins of of the cave or the origins of of what's going on. We know that B seems to be really nice and young, um, and the Doctor seems to be a stand up guy who's tried to leave that tragedy and trauma and crazy events of the past in the past. Uh, and now it's coming back to to revisit him. And is that for the for the good or for the bad? Uh, we don't know. So I'll be curious. Like I said, if, if it's only going to be five issues, I think we should start getting answers next issue. If it's going to go, if Paul Tobin has it planned out for longer, then maybe we can go a little longer. But the thing about Aftershock, I feel it's one of those companies that's like, you never know what's going to hit. So you have to have an ending planned that is satisfying with an issue five. But then if it sells well, you can go longer, which is probably why we need to have Elliot Kalen come back on and talk Maniac of New York, because that was a hit right away. So was that always his plan? Because I got to feel like, well, what if it wasn't a hit? I feel like his issue five would have been different because he would have wanted to have a more solid ending. So anyway, Aftershock, they're killing it as usual. Bunny Mask 2, really, really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure I was going to, um, to like this one. Uh, and I wasn't even sure. That, I mean, the old, honestly, the only, well, two reasons. First reason I read issue one was because it's Aftershock. And I always read their stuff because I figure it's going to be good or at least worth trying. But the other thing was just how excited Jay was about it. I was like, all right, I got to read it. Uh, <laughs> I can see what the heck he's talking about. But yeah, the first issue blew me away. And this one I felt like was uh, was just as good. So, uh, all right. My next book is Iron Man number 10 from writer Christopher Cantwell. We have art by Kafu. Colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by Joe Caramagna. So for the last couple months, we haven't seen Tony Stark because uh, issue nine was all about Patsy Walker, Hellcat. And then uh, last month we had the uh, the tie-in for the Heroes Reborn. So we didn't get a, a regular Iron Man issue. Um, so this is Tony. Finally, we're catching up with Tony. Um, and the rest of his team, Patsy Hellcat, shows up here maybe. Uh, like... I'm, you're not sure if it's her or if it's a figment of Tony's imagination or some kind of hologram, or you're just, you're just not sure based on the context of, of what's going on. But last we saw Tony, he was teleported away by powers unknown to this planet far, far away. There are other people living there. 
And that's what we see. We see all the interaction with those people in this uh, particular issue. And it's kind of interesting. They've sort of set up this commune and there's a little bit of, I don't want to say an existential crisis for Tony because it doesn't go that far, but it, it certainly fits in with the themes that Christopher Cantwell has been exploring about Tony trying to get back to his basics and figure out who he is and what he wants to do uh, because he's got an opportunity here, right? Like I said, the, the, the other people that have been transported here that much like Tony, that's just been plucked out of their place in the universe and transported here by powers and people unknown at this point, and they've established a life here and there's not the same kind of level. It's not the rat race, right? Like imagine if you just were thrown into this uh, faraway place where as long as you contributed to, I guess the society really, or, or the, the commune or the camp, or, you know, you did your fair share um, and helped out the people around you and you're all working together to survive in this alien place um, it's sort of a different level of responsibility. You're certainly not worried about your car insurance or paying your cell phone bill or the whole nine to five thing. It's a, in a way it's a more satisfying and peaceful existence, right? Because you don't have those every, that everyday kind of rat race sort of thing. And so I could see why when you're Tony Stark is trying to get back to basics that he would be uh, attracted to this, but can he really abdicate his responsibilities as an Avenger and, and, you know, I'll leave all the people behind that um, he's friends with at, uh, back on Earth and obviously his team, which is trying to stop Korvac from taking over the universe. Like there's a lot to uh, to examine there. And and what is this place and is it real? Is it all in his head? Um, there's there's so much to uh, to explore. And so Christopher Cantwell, it's, it's layers upon layers. He's really building out who Tony is, tearing him down to build him back up, which you know, it needs to be done periodically for these characters that have been around for decades and decades. Uh, as far as the art goes by Kafu, man, he uses some of the tightest and finest lines in his line work that you worry about the art looking too fragile. Um, but it never feels that way. What Instead, what it does is it feels very energetic and nimble um, by him using these uh, fine lines, which I really appreciate it. it it pulls you in more rather than with thick lines and it feels very static and, and you, you know, it's a little off putting at times, at least in, for me, you know, my personal taste with the fine lines, I feel like it draws you in um, kind of like somebody who speaks in a softer voice and you, you have to concentrate to hear what they're saying. And it, it makes you engage more. It's kind of that way with the, the visuals of, of what Kafu does with his line work. Great panel layouts, great page layouts, wonderful uh, expressions, facial expressions to bring emotion into the story and some really cool action scenes as well. So uh, there are, even though he's on a faraway planet, uh, Christopher Cantwell shows his love of Marvel and its vast array of, of characters by pulling in some, some names that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be on a alien planet out in the middle of nowhere. And I love that it's, it's Christopher Cantwell, sort of paying homage to uh, the Marvel comics of his youth that he read, that he, he recall. I mean, the fact that, that his main villain in his first year of Iron Man is Korvac. I mean, Korvac's a classic, powerful Marvel villain that I feel like hasn't probably gotten enough play over the last, I don't know, 30 years. So it's more of that with him using uh, some of the characters that show up here. So 
I highly recommend Iron Man. If you're not reading it, you really are uh, missing out. So, uh, all right. Next book we're going to talk about is an image book. It's The Silver Coin. We're up to issue number four. Uh, this one's written by Jeff Lemire, Lines and Letters uh, by Michael Walsh. So he handles um, all the artwork, line work, colors, as well as the letters. Um, so I think we talked after last issue, we started thinking maybe these these stories, these one seemingly one of stories in the silver coin are they tie in more than we first realized. Uh, and I think that's a little more obvious in this, uh, in this issue. So uh, the, the name of the story is called 2467. Um, and obviously uh, Jay, that, that has significance for this story. Oh yeah. So I guess the year is 2467. So yeah. it's, it's a way, way in the future. Which was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that when I picked it up. When I read it, I was like, okay, this is interesting. It's the future of the society, but it's like all things, there's a, a wall. <laughs> so we got the people that are in the wall that are, I guess, living glorious because it's like all lit up. And everybody outside, you just see people like just trying to get by with scraps. Um, the story pretty much is about, uh, about a thieves that they, uh, I guess they hack into other people's uh, I guess their brain, I guess it's where they keep their, their credit, their money, I guess, in the future. So it's not like a wallet, but I guess their mind, it's connected through their eyes. Um, she does that, you know, they get caught. There's a bunch of chasing, um, but I guess she thinks she's logged on, I guess, into like the mainframe, I guess, of the, I guess in the future, I guess, but it's the voice is telling her what to do, but we know how the coin likes to work. So it kind of leads her to, where the, the coins at it's still around even in even in this year danny's really uh kind of trippy because um how the coin i guess uh figures out i guess even in the future how to like still get a hold of people you know no matter what i mean through music we know it was through music and through other things but now it's i guess through the uh what we always cherish i guess the internet and then that just kind of leaves you warning. Okay, so now that we're in the future, are we going to go back to the past with the next issue? So it's it looks like we're going back. And if you look at the end of the book, I guess we're going back to, I guess, the way days, I guess. <laughs> we're going back to the past, I guess. But I guess they're all connect somehow. They're all going to connect somehow, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, I mean, it's fascinating. It really is because the story does stand on its own. And it's really cool. And, and like – Jay said it might be a little tropey, you know, it's the whole idea of the haves and the have nots in the future and the people that live inside the walls of the city seem to be living a pretty good life and the people outside are, you know, as he said, scavenging for scraps. Um, and so you figure, well, it's such an advanced society inside and um, a society that's just trying to get by and scrape up technology on the outside. Cause even, even though the, the scavengers are living outside the city, they're still very much reliant on, on technology and, and credits and, you know, riding motorized vehicles and things like that. So it's still, it's not a, neither environment, whether you're in the city or you're in the kind of the wastelands, neither environment suggests, oh, magic or supernatural, um, which I, I love that juxtaposition because when the, the main character does find the coin, I mean, she's still all about technology and even though she finds the coin and the coin manipulates her or inspires her or whatever you want to say, whatever it is this coin does, 
we're not 100% sure at this moment. She still uses, I mean, the, the coin does whatever it does, but she still uses technology to ultimately achieve her goal, uh, which I thought was, was really cool. And it just, I don't want to say there's not much to the story, but it, it's such a small piece of this futuristic world that we see. Like in a very few amount of pages, Jeff Lemire has shown us this world that makes me want to know so much more about it. And it's, um, it's clear that there can be, there's more to this girl's story maybe, or at least of this setting. Like, so that's what I say about like all these stories are connected with the coin and maybe more than we think. And are we going to go back and start revisiting? Like, are we going to continue each of these stories um, in this sort of anthology book? Like, you know, four issues from now, are we going to return to this person with the coin? You know what I mean? So super, super interesting. Plus, again, I don't want to give it away, but one of the things that really, uh, really stood out, and I, I feel like the way Lemire designed it, you can't help but notice it. When she first picks up the coin, when she finds it, it says something like in some dialogue boxes. And then at the end, on the last page, that same phrase is repeated and it's, you know, it's a sort of a technological phrase, but not necessarily it doesn't have to be a technology, technological phrase, but it makes me th think like, Hmm, there's more to that coin. Like the technology is in some way, the technology that this woman has is in some way detecting the coin. Right. And if it is magic, how's it interface? Like, I don't know. I just thought that that was really interesting and cool that he threw that in there. So I know I'm being super vague. Go pick, up, go, <laughs> go pick up Silver Coin and read it, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So, fantastic. Oh, yeah. A lot of the hidden little uh, Easter eggs in there. You just got to pay attention to this, yeah. uh, to the art, and then and just got to pay attention to it. Yeah, and, the, and that's the other thing that we, we should mention. The fact that it's all these different writers, but it's always Michael Walsh's art, which in trade is really going to help, despite the fact these are different stories that in different time periods – the fact that it's the same artist using the same aesthetic is going to help kind of establish a kind of a consistency in the, in the world of, of the silver coin. So, uh, all right, up next, I'm going to talk about sinister war. Number one, this is from writer, Nick Spencer pencils by Mark Bagley inks by Andrew Hennessy, John Dell and Andy Owens colors by Brian Reber letters by Joe Caramagna. So we've talked, I have talked extensively a couple times now about how Nick Spencer is leaving Amazing Spider-Man. I think his last issue was 74. Uh, I've talked a lot about how Spencer doesn't seem to be able to finish storylines. They just drag on and on and on. Um, and the last storyline that just started in Amazing Spider-Man finished up in I think only three issues and felt very abrupt. Uh, I feel like the Sinister War probably was this story was probably going to play out in the pages of amazing spider-man but now that they're ending it they said okay let's spin it off into its own series and we can try to wrap up as many storylines as possible so that storyline started all the way back in issue one with kindred that plays a role in this sinister war um the whole doctor strange mephesto plot thread that started a few issues ago could be playing out here the only thing that doesn't show up the only plot thread that doesn't show up here is the kingpin there's no no kingpin in this issue so i don't think that's going to be a part of it but when we talk about sinister war this isn't 
necessarily uh okay spider-man is going to be fighting against the sinister six no we've got the sinister six show up here we've got the savage six show up here um we're told in, in the very beginning in in the text that doc ock isn't is only doc ox sinister six is one of only five supervillain teams that the kindred has sent after spider-man so i think we may be getting the end of the kindred storyline in this sinister war um in this sinister war event so I, I like the fact that they're splitting this out on its own um because these issues are a little larger than than regular size issues this one i think is 30 pages um and so, yeah, if you want Nick Spencer, because I talked about this one last time I covered a, an Amazing Spider-Man issue, how the heck are you going to finish all of Nick Spencer's plot threads with only like three, four issues to go? Well, this is the way, right? Um, if we're getting a six-issue um, miniseries here of, of Sinister One, I'm not exactly sure how many. I think it's six. Uh, at 30 pages each, well, that's 180 pages, which that's nine issues of a regular comic, uh, a regular 20 page comic, right? If it's 180 pages. And so you add those nine issues to uh, the four or so issues that Nick Spencer's already getting from, you know, uh, 71 through 74 of Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man plus the, the annual we just got plus the giant size chameleon conspiracy one shot we just got and you're talking about 15 or 16 issues 15 or 16 issues is definitely enough space for most writers <laughs> to finish up all their their stories all their plot threads right uh nick spencer is not most writers like i said he does play kind of the longer game but but you would hope that he can finish most of the, the storylines like for me as long as he finishes the kindred storyline <laughs> i mean because i've been reading this series for 70 issues and that storyline's been going on for 70 issues. So that's the one that really needs to be finished in my mind. So uh, I really enjoyed it. The other thing that was great about it was the fact that it was Mark Bagley art, which, you know, that that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, my amazing Spider-Man collection started with like issue 248 ish, somewhere right around there. And I picked up every issue off the rack all the way through the end of the first volume. And I've talked about it before, how I sold it. And just recently, rebuilt the the collection last year um but so much of that is bagley art right starting from around what is it issue 360 ish maybe a little before then um you know he was the art artist that gave us carnage um it was basically todd mcfarland and eric larson and then mark bagley and he, he was on the title for years years and years um through the you know mid 300s um up to up past 400, I think. So, uh, and then he moved over to, um, to ultimate Spider-Man. So uh, he's a classic Spider-Man artist and it's great. Like this, having his art on a book on a Spider-Man book to me just makes it feel instantly classic and like a Spider-Man book. Now, the fact that there are three different inkers on this does give a little bit different feel to his art. Um, it's not, 100% consistent throughout. It, it is recognizable as Mark Bagley art throughout. I just wish that it had just been one inker. So the art would have been a little more consistent enough. As long as I'm wishing, I wish it was Randy Emberlin <laughs> who was inking him, who was his longtime inker on Amazing Spider-Man. 
Well, that's when I think uh, Bagley's art looks looks best. But I don't really need to go much more into detail when I say Mark Bagley art. If you've ever seen Mark Bagley Spider-Man art, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, he does action and movement as well as any artist uh, who's ever worked on on Spider-Man. So that is the same here. Uh, plenty of detail, um, a lot of figures and a lot of panels, especially when you're talking about multiple versions of the sinister sticks or these groups of, of six villains um so there's plenty of classic spider-man villains that show up mary jane's here you know peter's here obviously spider-man and so yeah it's uh, i enjoyed it yeah, i wish i wish m more of spencer's run had felt like this had been paced at this speed and had this much action and felt like this much of a big chunk of story but you know it's not all all his fault necessarily because like i said this we get 30 pages here as opposed to most of his issues where he's only getting 20. so um the doctor strange mephesto stuff may i think my theory is that stuff is what may lead into ben riley returning to the role of spider-man which we were told weeks ago by marvel that amazing spider the amazing spider-man title it's going to be going to three times a month, month, which I completely disagree with, but whatever, they own it. And uh, I'm probably still going to buy it uh, because I have a complete run, you know, minus the first hundred issues or so. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to keep buying it because it's Spider-Man. Uh, and so I guess I'm playing right into their hands. So I can't, I shouldn't really complain. Um but yeah, it's going to go to three times a month and Ben Riley's going to be the one under the mask and uh, have a feeling that what we're starting to see play out in this issue with, um, with Dr. Strange and with Mephesto may be what leads Peter to give up being Spider-Man and let Ben Riley take over. And it's not going to be permanent because we know that's just not a thing. Uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he will eventually return as uh, Spider-Man, but um yeah, I think based on the history of, of Spider-Man and Mephisto with the one more day, with the marriage being erased and, and what's happening here, my theory is is Doctor Strange rolls that back. He finds a way to, to, to make Mephisto do it or make Mephisto agree or make some sort of deal where Mephisto restores the marriage, restore and, and the Marvel Universe has changed once again. Um, and Peter's like, well my marriage is restored. Look at all these years we lost because Mephisto changed it. Um, so I want to spend as much time with Mary Jane as I can. And, and in order to do that, I'm going to let Ben Riley take over as Spider-Man. That's my theory. Now, whether that actually happens or not, I guess we'll see, but <laughs> I did think that this was a, a really good issue and I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of Sinister War, which I wasn't necessarily before. I just, when I heard, because this got announced before, we heard about Nick Spencer leaving the title before we heard about a Spider-Man series, amazing Spider-Man going to three times a month. So I was just like, Oh man, another Spider-Man spinning out by a uh, series uh, by Nick Spencer. Like if, if it's by Nick Spencer and it's a Spider-Man story, just put it in the regular title. Well, then the, all the other news came out. So again, it, it makes a lot more sense that this is kind of out on its own. And maybe it's a way for, like I said, him to finish up all his, um, all his storylines. So, and I, I how I feel about Spider-Man's marriage getting erased back in the day with 
with one more day or one moment in time. Um, I don't know. Like I, I go back and forth on it. Like I completely understand why Joe Casada made the, the choice, right? Um, having Spider-Man be married sort of limits what you can do with the, the character. You've always got to, as a writer, have a plan for what to do with Mary Jane. And maybe that's not where you want to go. Um, and Marvel at the time was just coming out of bankruptcy and trying to, um, you know, drum up sales. And it certainly got a lot of, a lot of attention, but I don't know. I like, I like the idea of Spider-Man being married. I like the idea of, of him and Mary Jane together. So I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'll say that for sure. Uh, I think you read this too, Jay. And I, I don't, have you been reading the regular uh, amazing Spider-Man on the, on the, on the regular? Yes. And I, I agree. It just, it just kind of dragged that story forever. I'm just kind of glad that we're tying it to- Ever. Ever, yeah, I'm glad we're tying up loose ends. Yeah, but uh, unlike you, I do have Amazing Spider-Man number one all the way to the last issue in the first volume. Just throwing it out there. But uh, <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. Andy was kind of interesting with, like you said, with Strange and Mephisto. And uh, we'll see what happens, you know. But the artwork in this is always amazing. Um, I just like the the big pages where you have all the villains coming through in their own little panel. And then you got the rogue, I guess, coming after him, like, on, I guess, the, the last few pages. It was pretty, pretty awesome. So detailed. I just love it. And uh, I think most people like you are fans want Peter to be married to Mary Jane because his life has been very rough. He's always getting screwed over somehow, some way. He just never gets a break. And when he finally, you know, got the girl of his dreams, it's like, all right, you know, you, you, he, you know, it's, it's good for Peter. And then when he took it away, you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. So you want, he, yeah. It's like, no, get, you, know, you want them, you want them together. If you couldn't have Gwen, cause they took her away, let them have Mary. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, how long, I'm just Googling it right now. Um, how long was it? Uh, it was in the, was it in the nineties or in the two thousands? Uh, I say it was about 14 years, right? 2007 um, was one more day. So, God, it's it's more recent than I thought. Um, but still, I mean, that's 14 years ago. Yeah, that's why I said about 14 years. Yeah, so it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but here, here's the thing, right? Like you talk about Peter not catching a break and so many fans, you know, finally got the girl. And was I mean, he was married for a long time, too, because I think the, he got married in 87, so he's right. married for 20 years and now he's been unmarried because of what Mephisto did for 14. Even if he, even if his marriage gets restored or the other, the other possibility is his marriage doesn't get restored, but he just proposes to, and I was thinking about this too, because there's some hints in this issue. That, right. And there's been some hints in previous issues of uh, amazing Spider-Man that maybe he's, he's planning on proposing again. Um, and I thought about that. I'm like, can Marvel do the same trick twice? Can they like, it, cause it was a big deal back then. I mean, events weren't as big of a deal back then, but it still it was, I think it was amazing Spider-Man annual 21 that he got married and there was two different covers. There was a newsstand cover where it's like Spider-Man. He like, he's in a Spider-Man costume and Mary Jane are getting married. And then there's another one where it's Peter Parker and Mary Jane, um, which that was back before there was a lot of variant covers. So it was kind of, you know, more unusual. Um, but could Marvel do that, do it again? Like, and would people care? Like, no, dude, you already you already married him off and made a thing of it once. And this time, obviously, they'd make a huge deal of it if he got married again. And they'll make a huge deal of it if it's just a racing one more day. So they could go either way. They could just have the Mephisto restore it, or they could just get married again and not restore it. So it'll be interesting to see um, to see what happens 
there. But regardless of that, regardless of whether his marriage is restored, either way, either of those ways, and Ben Riley takes over as Spider-Man, you know, ultimately, like I said earlier, Peter Parker is going to put on the Spider-Man mask again at some point. Maybe they'll kill Ben Riley and Parker, Peter Parker feels guilty. Whatever. In some way, the guilt and the weight of responsibility of him needing to be Spider-Man or feeling like he's obligated to be Spider-Man will, will pl- no matter who the writer is, it's going to be an editorial dictate. Like it's going to be guilt that drives Peter to become Spider-Man again. I mean, that I'm just saying that's what, yeah. be, you know, because that's just who that's, he is as a character. Yeah. He's just a boy scout. That's, that's all yeah. there is. Exactly. So he'll, he'll eventually, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kill off Ben Riley and, Pete's like, no, if I would have stayed Spider-Man, Ben wouldn't have died. And blah, blah. I'm sorry, Mary Jane. I've got to do this and yada, yada. So anyway, <laughs> uh, on to the next book. It's another Marvel title. It's Spider-Woman number 13. It's from writer Carla Pacheco. Art is by Pere Perez and colors by Frank Diarmada. Letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, so we saw last issue um, and we, we obviously couldn't spoil, uh, but at the end of issue 12, Jessica's longtime boyfriend, Roger, is like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like being Spider-Woman is more important to you than me or more important than, than Jerry, your, your son. And, and I can't just stay here for the scraps. And he, he just leaves her like just, and she doesn't even see it coming. The way that Carla Pacheco laid out the issue, us as readers, we all see it coming. And we totally understand why Roger does what he does. It's not that he doesn't love uh, Jessica, but he's just not getting enough from her. Um, and you can make the argument, well, you know, she's trying to do her best balancing, you know, having a personal life and uh, a normal life versus being a superhero. And that's really hard to do and and what have you. And I, and I get that, but at the end of the day, we're all responsible to some extent for our own happiness. And he was just miserable and he, he was trying to propose to her and she wasn't even around enough for him to like pull the ring out and, and make that happen. And so he just realized I need to, for my own health and sanity, I need to walk away. And so that was kind of the cliffhanger and the terrible thing that happened uh, last issue. And so this one picks up with, uh, with Jessica having to try to deal with that, but it's almost like she doesn't even get a chance to, because this issue is just action packed from, from start to finish. So, uh, so what'd you think, Jay? Oh yeah, uh, it's one of the uh, few titles like from Marvel that I actually actually look forward to reading because the uh, the covers are amazing. Uh, is it Woon that does it? I don't want to misspell it or mispronounce his name. That does the cover art. Yeah, I think I think that's how it's. Uh, I know he's. Uh, I think he's a, a Korean artist, but yeah, Jung Shin Yoon, I think is how you say it. But apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. But yeah, they're they're painted covers and they're always fantastic. Oh yeah. But the artwork itself in the book is just amazing. Um, it just starts off with a bang. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't even stop. I think the title's called Oh baby. <laughs> if, I'm, yeah. if I'm reading the title, right. But uh, she gets a break in um, from one of the villains, I guess, or after her, uh, an item that she has, I don't want to say, cause I don't want to give away the story, but they're after an item that she has and she goes chasing them and she kind of just leaves her kid behind. Cause her, uh, it was at her, uh, who was it? The Lindsay shows up. Yep. She's like, yeah, but she says it so fast. Like, I love you. Goodbye. I got to take go. You know, she's got to go be a hero. Even her uh, son helps out, which is kind of funny. It's like, okay, I, <laughs> I, I, that was, that was kind of cute. And even the jokes that the, the first villain is always like, you know, you got to put that thing on a leash. She's like, oh, okay. Now, now it's on. 
because you kind of, you know, went past that, you know, they don't talk about her family. It was interesting because, you know, she's got one villain she's trying to chase down, then another villain takes the object, and now she got to chase that other villain. And uh, during the whole chase, there's a lot of little comedy in there and bantering back and forth. And it's it's a, it's very enjoyable. The artwork, as I said, is very detailed. And then you got the cover has Lady Bullseye with a new costume. It's like, okay, not, no spoiler. And then that's like the last person that gets the item, you know, that she has to face off with. Like I said, at the very end, it's kind of uh, like, what? Did you find out who actually hired these people to get this item? And you're kind of, I was kind of taken back a little bit that it was that person. I was like, what's going on here? That was like, I guess, the big cliffhanger of the, story, of, the, of, the of the issue. But you're like, I don't know why he would do that. Yeah, it was a big WTF moment. Yeah. Uh, for Jessica and, and us as well. Uh, but you're right. Like, it, we talk about, like, telling linear stories, right? Um and this is definitely a linear story. There's no flashbacks or anything. It's all told, you know, as it, as it unfolds. And I, I love just the sense of the chase in and having the story laid out narratively like this, because it would have been so easy to, to throw in flashbacks here or there. We don't get any of that. It's just a straightforward chase. And for the villains, you know, they're basically this, this mystery person that we're talking about at the end has offered this reward for this item that Jessica happens to have. Um, and the first one that shows up at her apartment to take it doesn't even know who she is necessarily. They just are after the payday. And so just as she defeats one villain, you know, here's another villain that shows up that wants the payday that, you know, basically picks it up. It's, it's like they're, they're passing the baton, but they're not working together, but it's sort of like the baton keeps getting passed as the object keeps, you know, as soon as Jessica almost has it in her hands, you know, here's another villain to go and, and take it. And so that's the way that the, the action flows throughout the issue and it's what makes it so action packed. But the other thing that it does, cause Carla could have easily just had it be one villain that took the object and, and kept it. And, and Jessica was just pursuing them throughout the entire issue until she finally gets to the, the, this mystery person that hired these people. But by having it fall from the hands of one villain to only be picked up by the next one and the next one and the next one, it shows that Jessica is so much better than these villains in terms of how formidable she is, which is great, right? Like if she was chasing one villain the entire time, it would be like, man, she's not good enough to defeat them, but she does. She she's continually defeating villain after villain after villain. So it helps to show just how uh, formidable and how capable she is. Um, but she's just that half a step far, you know, away from getting the package each time. So uh, yeah, super great art. A lot of jokes, wonderful dialogue. Um, I think Carla Pacheco. I think I've, I've said this before. I, her along with Kelly Thompson, man, they're they're killing it on these these characters like Captain Marvel, Black Widow, and and Spider Woman. Those are three of my favorite Marvel titles that are coming out right now. They're all titles that have a female lead. They're written by female writers that give us authentic female voices, uh, and I, I just love that. It's fantastic. And uh, and yeah, uh, Pere Perez just gorgeous art wonderful page layouts um there's a monster truck that shows up here that breaks panels because it should because it's a monster truck so why wouldn't it <laughs> um that's fantastic yeah. uh, there's a cool fight on an airplane wing like it's just yeah this is a perfect issue to encapsulate how fun spider woman has been in the hands of uh, carla pacheco it was it was pretty heavy the first 10 issues with what Carla was doing and kind of the, the stakes that Jessica was up against and Carla introduced somewhat of a, 
a little bit of a supporting cast, but definitely kind of fleshed out Jessica's origins and backgrounds and, and sort of family. Uh, and I felt like that enriched the character, but it was a little bit of more of kind of an angst filled book with the seriousness of what Jessica's was going through. And then with issue 11, um, it still has a lot of the same uh, tone because it is the same writer and Jessica still has the same voice, but it's become a much more lighthearted book. Um, I feel like those first 10 issues were for Carla to establish, okay, here's who Jessica is to me and the things that she has to deal with. And now I feel like she's given herself a little more freedom to explore kind of the zaniness that is Jessica's life. So, you know, we mentioned it at the time when we talked about it, issue number 11 is a great jumping on point. Um, I, I do recommend to read the whole entire series. The first 10 issues are amazing as well. But if, you, if you're just looking for something more recent to be able to jump on and get caught up, you can easily pick up issue 11, 12, and then this week's 13 and, uh, and be on the same page with, uh, with what's going on. Although you might be a little confused by like, wait, who's this guy on the last page of 13? And, and why does it matter that he's the <laughs> right. one? Yeah, so... But you, but the, see, you won't know who he is, um, but you'll be in the same boat of us of not knowing why he is the one that hired all, all these villains to try to retrieve this item. So, Oh, the best part was a horse. I was like, really? They, I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was funny. Uh, all right. My last book is Way of X, number four. It's from writer Cy Spurrier. Bob Quinn handles the art. Java Tartagilla is the color artist, or Tartaglia is probably how you pronounce it. Uh, and Clayton Cal does letters, Tom Muller on design. This is the book that has Nightcrawler sort of having somewhat of an existential crisis. He knows that there's something at, there's something rotten in Denmark, right? Like the island of Krakow is supposed to be this mutant paradise, but in a way, the mutants are becoming complacent and complacency is sort of breeding this idea of, of despondency and um, listlessness and a little bit of paranoia. And so Night, uh, Nightcrawler has been trying to trying to deal with like, you know, he's so religious and he believes in, in faith and maybe he's going to, this whole idea of the way of X, it's like, okay, that's like the way of Christ, right? That's the, the analog there. Like what, what mutant religion, what X religion can you create to, to give people something to believe in, to focus on the positive rather than this, idea of complacency and sinning and um, debauchery and all that kind of thing. But it's, it's more complicated than that because there, there are other things at play. Um, perhaps onslaught may be returning. That's a threat. Um, how do you deal with the idea that the mutants are resurrected? And what does that do with the idea of the, the Catholic afterlife that Nightcrawler was raised to believe in and, and had faith in his whole life? So there's a lot of big questions like that. And Cy Spurrier is exactly the kind of writer to explore this sort of story. Um, but this particular issue, it, it doesn't necessarily forget about all those big ideas or put into the side, but we're starting to see some of the real world impacts of how Nightcrawler, along with, with Legion, uh, who showed up, I think in issue one or issue might've been issue toward the end of issue one. And, and, is sort of senses the same things that Nightcrawler does and, and wants to help um, as much as he can before the many voices in his head dr drive him crazy. So 
this issue, there's a fantastic scene between Legion and his father, Professor X. Um, we get more hints that uh, Onslaught is indeed back. Uh, and the fact that that Onslaught is is somebody is maybe the one villain that Charles Xavier shouldn't or or can't face. Right. Um, so, uh, again, this is a great book and, and I can't really it's so complicated and nuanced. It's hard for me to talk about any events that happen in it in, in kind of a vague sense um, because so much of what happens, it's very dialogue driven. Um, and so it makes it kind of tough without spoiling. So uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm very curious to see what Cy Spurrier is going to do. I mean, just, you just take that idea of a mutant religion and extrapolate it out and there's a lot to uh, to explore there. And then you you bring in Legion, as I said, and he, he is struggling. This, this may be the most heroic I've ever seen Legion act, um, even to the point of he's got safeguards for when he does start to, to lose it. Um, and so I, I really like that. I've never been a big fan of, of Legion. I feel like he's one of those characters that's too powerful. And so he's only ever defeated by some sort of turn of fate or some kind of ex deus machina sort of thing um so i've never been a big fan but but here i like i like the characterization of legion that Cy Spurrier is is giving us and then um at the end there's uh legion makes a a, a choice to do something and again i, I can't spoil it but it's going to possibly be a game changer and so i can't wait for the next issue to see the way uh, Nightcrawler reacts when he finds out and what the story is going to, how it's going to change going forward. And then of course we still have the whole idea of, even though this is a book that's exploring ideas of religion and faith and sin and that sort of thing and, and purpose, uh, there's still plenty of potential for action because Onslaught's going to show up at, at some point and that's going to be all about action. So uh I, I definitely am enjoying this, uh, the way of X book. All right. Well, let me talk about some of the other titles that are coming out today that you might want to be on lookout for. I think we talked about all the Aftershock books, but uh, over at Boom Studios, you have Seven Secrets, number 10. That's from writer Tom Taylor with art by Danielle DeNiculo, which is a, a fantastic series. A lot of people are enjoying uh, I mentioned that uh, we under DC Comics Spotlight, we talked about all these books. So uh, Action Comics 2021 Annual Number One, we actually talked about that one not yesterday, but last week because it was supposed to come out last week and it got delayed at the last second. So you got to jump back two episodes on the DC Spotlight if you want to hear our thoughts on Action Comics 2021. But it does come out uh, this week if you want to pick it up. Uh, we also talk about Batman the Detective number four of six from Tom Taylor, art by Andy Kubert. We've got Detective Comics number 1039, uh, The Flash 2021 Annual number one, which is, again, I think this is the third attempt for DC to redeem Wally West from the events of Heroes in Crisis. Rocky and I got in a big argument on the podcast, maybe our biggest argument we've ever got in over that issue. So if you're curious what had us all fired up, definitely listen to the DC Spotlight uh, Future State Gotham number three is out. Uh, Infinite Frontier number two of six, which is DC's big event that's going on right now that's going to lead into even bigger events. Uh, Joker number five is sort of a one-of issue by writer James Tynan with some really moody art by Francesco Francavilla. 
uh, Justice League Last Ride number three of seven from uh, writer Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendoca. Speaking of art, um, I'm a big fan of Miguel's art. Um, I have, I've met him. He's a super amazing guy. I've uh, got a commission from him. Just really, really humble. Um, very, very talented. And so I've been following his, his career. Uh, even before I met him, I was a fan of his work. And then ever since I met him, we, we hit it off and I've been paying even more attention. Um, and so I, I give that context to say this. This is this issue is the best issue Miguel has ever drawn. It is absolutely fantastic. It is so good. So uh, and and the story for by Zdarsky is very good as well. Um, so definitely check that out. Go listen to the DC Spotlight. I give more more details on it. Uh, Rorschach number ten of twelve from Tom King and Jorge Fornes, and then uh, DC finishes up with Wonder Woman number seven seventy five. Uh, over at IDW, we have uh, another issue of uh, Canto. It's Canto number three, Lionhearted number one of six. Uh, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero from uh, writer Larry Hama is up to number 284. Uh, we have Die number 18, which is, I think there's two or three more issues of that Die series from, uh, from Kieran Gillen with art by Stephanie Hans. Uh, Haha number six of six, which I don't know why they, I, we didn't get a preview copy of that. Um, cause I know you're a big fan of that, Jay. Oh yeah. Uh, I was a little let down, a little let down. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Helm of Grey Castle, number three of four, uh, from Top Cow writer, Henry Brahas. Uh, that's kind of a, a mashup of Dungeons and Dragons and some, um, historical Latin American, like Mayans and Incans and, uh, Inca, uh, Incan people. Um, so that's real interesting. If you're a big Dungeons and Dragons fan, I, I, uh, I do recommend that. Maneaters, The Curse, number one of five from writer Chelsea Kane. I don't know if that ties into her Maneaters um, series that she did before because I didn't read it uh, previously. But uh, if you're a fan of that, you probably want to check out this new Maneaters series. Oblivion Song from uh, Robert Kirkman is up to number 32. Uh, and then Skybound X, number two, which is uh, kind of an event series that's going on right now from Skybound uh, from Robert Kirkman's. Uh, Skybound imprint. That's a weekly series. Uh, issue number two is out this week uh, as well. Over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, number four of four. This is another one of those limited color palette books. Um, so it's only black, white, and red. Um, so it's a bunch of Carnage short stories um, from various uh, writers and artists. <clears throat> so if you're a big Carnage fan, you you probably want to check that out. Um, we also have Conan the Barbarian, number 23, Excalibur, number 22. Uh, there's an Extreme Carnage Scream, number one, one-shot. Uh, Iron Man, number 10, we already mentioned. Sinister War, uh, number one. I guess it's going to be four issues, according to this, number one of four, which we talked about. Um, Star Wars Doctor Aphra, number 12, and Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, number two of five, is out this week. And we owe you guys so many episodes of that War of the Bounty Hunters um, Manny has just been unavailable, and so we haven't been able to get those recorded, but we will get them out for you eventually, um, I promise. Uh, Thor number 15 is also out, and uh, I guess that's it from uh, from Marvel this week. Uh, last couple books I'll mention, uh, the new Ninjak series from Valiant Enter Entertainment with art by Javier Polito is out this week as well. Um, and I, I haven't had – I've heard good things, but I haven't had a chance to uh, – to check it out. So if you're a fan of, uh, of Ninjak, which I am, you may want to check that out as well. 
Uh, anything I, I missed or anything else that you wanted to give a shout out to, Jay? Um, let's see. Oh, I was thinking about that. What's that series? Moth? Moths, I guess, was out. I think number two comes out this week, too, or tomorrow, I should say. Uh, who's that by? What Hold publisher? On. You got to check. Sorry. Oh, good. I'm kind of scrolling, seeing if I can find it uh, as well. I'm not familiar with that, with that series. Uh, don't see it. Let me do a. Oh, it's from AWA. Yeah. Uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Because um, I guess uh, Strzokinski is doing it. He's writing it, and Mike oh, uh, Mike Cho is doing art. Okay, so it's part of that resistance. Um, right. World that that J. Michael Straczynski has uh, has created. Okay, got it. Yep, that is out this week uh, as well. So. All right. Well, those are some of the other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, a lot of great books. So be sure you get out there and, uh, and support your local comic shop. And as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in and joining us for these new Comic Book Day episodes. We appreciate your support as always. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.